Welcome back. It's good to be back. I needed a short break. It was good to have a break, but it's good to be back. The opening chapters of Genesis contain the first baseball game. It starts in the beginning. Eve stole first. Adam stole second. Cain struck out Abel. Enoch was walked. And the giants and the angels were rained out. Now, as I hear that joke, it's kind of an old joke. But you know what? It makes me realize there are a lot of oddities and weird stuff in the opening chapters of the Bible. And we're going to be honing in on one of those today, one of those weird stories right from early on in Scripture. Genesis 4 tells the story of the first murder. When Cain killed Abel, it was because Cain was jealous of Abel, and God liked Abel's offerings, but not Cain's. It says Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the, fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, here's the million-dollar question today. Why? Why did God accept Abel's offerings, but not Cain's? I mean, both of them are giving something to God. Throughout the Bible, people are willing to give offerings of animals, offerings of fruit, and offerings of crops. So what's wrong with Cain's? Why is Cain's offering being shut down in these early chapters of Genesis? The text doesn't outright tell us. And I find this to be weird. And I'd like to figure out why it's in the Bible. So turn to Genesis 4 and let's get weird. Welcome to Weird Stuff in the Bible, where we explore scripture passages that are bizarre, perplexing, or just plain weird. This is Luke Taylor, and today we're going to be talking about Cain and why his offering was not accepted while Abel's was. The reason we're coming to this story at the beginning of the Bible is because of the little book we've been studying at the end of the Bible. In this short one-chapter book of Jude, we have covered the first 10 verses on this podcast. It has taken us about three months. And now we're starting into verse 11. And I say we're starting into it because this verse <laughs> packs quite a wallop. There is a lot to unpack in this one little verse. In describing apostates, these are people who depart from Christianity after once believing it, Jude 11 says this, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So it brings up three different people, three historical events from the Old Testament to describe the patterns and behavior of apostasy. It talked about Cain, Balaam, and Korah. And we're going to have individual episodes on each of those people. And we're starting with Cain today. It said that apostates walk in the way of Cain. And you might be familiar with Cain, but what specifically was the way of Cain? Well, let's dig into his story a bit and see if we can figure that out. My personal belief is that this actually connects with why Cain's offering was rejected by God. And so if you have gone to Genesis 4, let's start at the beginning of that chapter and we'll read most of the story here. It says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. So in other words, Abel was a shepherd 
and Cain was a farmer. Abel raised sheep, while Cain raised crops. Abel took care of the herd, while Cain gathered fruits and vegetables. And these two men would bring an offering of the fruits of their labors to God as something kind of like a tithe. It was a way of honoring God. For Abel, this would mean bringing a member of his flock. For Cain, it meant he would bring, literally, his fruit. Let's keep reading, starting at verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And this is what we're going to dig into today. We're going we're to come back to this verse, actually. But notice here, Cain is angry. And on top of that, he's sad. He doesn't seem to understand why his offering is not as worthy to the Lord as Abel's was. And we see a little bit of a heart problem right here. God gives Cain a way forward. But instead of taking God's advice, Cain chooses to grow in jealousy and in his resentment toward Abel and God. So verse six, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. I feel like Cain's probably just getting more frustrated here. You know, he's trying to please God, but what he's doing is not working. So it's confusing. What is going on here? Is God being fair? Like, isn't Cain trying to worship God? Isn't he trying to bring him something? Why doesn't God appreciate Cain's offering? Well, Cain's jealousy gets the best of him. Verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And it kind of goes on from there. I always, I always want to slug Cain whenever I read that. You know, it's like, am I my brother's keeper? He's just not even going to take responsibility for the horrible thing that he just did. So Cain gets punished by God, and he basically becomes an outcast for the rest of his life. You know, I don't know how many people are on the earth. Um, no, I know it's not many at the time that this story happened. Not many at, at all, for sure. But Cain was going to walk the earth for hundreds of years. And so by... Throughout his life, as hundreds and hundreds more people are born, by the time he died, he's not going to be accepted by them. He's an outcast through all of it. And that is his punishment for being the first murderer. Now, let's discuss what it was that made Abel's offering accepted while Cain's wasn't. And I believe there's two aspects of this. Um, there's the offering itself. But I believe more importantly, it was the heart attitude behind the offering. Okay, there is a difference in the two offerings, and it's, it's kind of an important difference, but I really think the key issue was not what the offering was, it was the heart behind the offering that was giving it to God. So we're going to start with the heart attitude. We kind of get a clue from Hebrews 11.4. This is over in the New Testament, but it tells us there, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. So the key thing I want to pull from that is that Abel's offering was in faith. 
And this is implying a contrast here that Cain's offering was not. There's something different about how Abel is trying to relate to God through his offering versus how Cain was. Abel is relating to God from an attitude of faith, and this is described as being something in contrast or different from Cain. So what was Cain's motivation? You know, what if it was not faith? And it's an interesting word here, faith. You know, I don't think Cain lacked a belief in God. It seems clear that God was interacting with Cain all through this process, before and after all this. So Cain knew that God was real. He had, he had that kind of faith. So Cain didn't lack faith in God's reality, okay? He must have lacked faith in something about God's character or God's promises, okay? And we kind of have to speculate a little bit here. I'm going to call it, you know, holy speculation, sanctified imagination. But, you know, I, I think I'm tracking with what the Bible's saying, okay? I believe Cain's attitude was something like this. God, you must bless me. You must accept me because I'm giving you this sacrifice. So in other words, Cain was not offering up his sacrifice from a position of humility and gratitude toward God. He offered up his sacrifice from more of a place of pride, that he was vindicating himself, absolving himself with giving God this offering. It was a form of self-justification. And I say it like this because I think this story, the brothers in this story, they represent two different ways that all of mankind relates to God. Okay, why do we do what we do for God? Is it out of thankfulness? Is it out of humility? Or do we do it because we're trying to force God to accept us, to force God to forgive our sins, to force God to bless us, or maybe to show ourselves better than that guy next to us? You know, two people might walk down an aisle in a church and both of them drop an offering in the tithe bucket, but they might have entirely different attitudes about it. You know, one might say, God, I'm doing this because I just love you and I'm grateful because you've blessed my life so much. You know, that's an attitude of, of gratitude. The other might walk down that aisle and say, oh, God must be really glad I'm a tither. You know, I, I give so much more money than the other people at this church. Or, or what if this is their attitude? God, I'm giving you this money because I want you to take me to heaven someday. You know, I'm going to be so faithful in all my giving because I know you're just going to take me to heaven for it. See, that's a very different type of motivation. And so I think these two men, Cain and Abel, I think they represent a dichotomy that is present throughout the whole Bible. The two different ways that people try to relate to God, the two different motivations people have for their offerings and for their good works, to do things for God out of thankfulness or to do things for God out of an attitude of self-justification. Basically, do you have gratitude or do you have attitude? And I see this dichotomy represented in the gifts that these men give. Okay, let's revisit that now. It said, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. So basically, Cain brought fruit and Abel brought a lamb. Now, let's dig into that. What does fruit represent throughout the Bible? You know, especially think New Testament, okay? What does fruit often represent when Jesus or Paul speak about fruit? Fruit represents our works. It's something that we produce. You know, a good tree bears good fruit and so forth. Fruit is representative of our works. But the New Testament also says that our works are not what justifies us before God. You can't do enough good to earn your way to heaven. Our good works are important, 
Okay, you should bear good fruit in your life. Okay, but never deceive yourself into thinking that God loves you more because of anything that you've done or anything that you've accomplished. Okay, never believe that you've earned your seat in heaven or that you're more important than anyone else because of something good that you've done. God really despises that attitude. And it, then it becomes, some, you know, it makes our relationship with God something transactional. It's like, God, I did this for you, so now you can do something for me. And I, that's how Cain was approaching God. He's like, here, God, here's my fruit. Okay, what, here's my fruit, God. Here's what I've done. Now, what can you do for me? Because I think that, that's what fruit represents in the Bible. Whereas that's not Abel's attitude at all. Abel doesn't approach God carrying his fruit. Abel approaches God on the basis of the blood of the lamb. Now, what does that symbolize in the New Testament? That's an easy one, guys. <laughs> Jesus was the lamb of God. It was his sacrifice that makes it possible for us to even approach God in the first place. So when we put our faith in Jesus, the lamb of God, when we make that the basis of our relationship with God, then we're not trusting in our fruit anymore to save us. We're not demanding that God bless us because of how great our fruit is. If we know that we can only approach a holy God in the first place because of the lamb. And so I think that's what the takeaway is here in the story of Cain and Abel. These are two men who related to God in different ways. And this is symbolized by their offerings. Okay. And, and, don't, don't, get, don't get this wrong, okay? Here's the point. I hope you follow this. The point is not that Cain should have literally went and got a lamb. Okay, Cain was a farmer. I mean, it, it's okay for him to give an offering of the field. That's, there's, you know, there's not something magical about lambs or fruit that would have made his offering okay. That was not the point. The point was the heart, the heart attitude behind the giver. That was what made the difference here. Okay, so, you know, there's lots of people listening to this right now, all kinds of jobs. Some of you might be in secular work. Some of you might work in ministry. Some of you might be stay-at-home moms. Some of you might be retired. The point is not that any one type of work is better than another type of work. That's not what I'm saying, okay? It's not about how much money you put in the offering plate when it's passed in front of you. The point is the heart behind all of that, okay? Why are you doing? what you do for God. Maybe you volunteer 20 hours a week for God. Maybe some of you serve at your church for like one hour a month. Okay, the point is not who does more. The point is your attitude behind it. I would rather see someone serve like one hour with gratitude than 20 hours with attitude. <laughs> All right, that's the difference. And, and that's what God would want to see as well. He wants the heart that is in the right place whenever you're serving him. And so that's the, that's the takeaway. That's what I want you to take away from this. All right. Don't get hung up. I think the fruit and the lamb are symbolic. They're important. But that's not the point. The point is the heart behind those things. And here's some good news, by the way. If you haven't always had the right attitude whenever you did things for God, this, this chapter actually gives us some good news, too. You can change your attitude anytime you want. God said to Cain, if you do well... Will you not be accepted? It's that easy, guys. Just change your attitude. Okay, we're going to come back in a moment. I want to do some mailbag comments, or maybe just one here. I got one mailbag I want to share. And then I want to give some closing thoughts on the way of Cain. 
Next time on this podcast, we're going to go right into the next person who's spoken about in Jude 11, Balaam. He's a complicated guy. We might have to spend a few episodes on him. You know, he has a lot of weird stuff going on in the story of Balaam. So (laughs) it might be more than a few episodes. We'll see. But make sure that you are subscribed so you can get them. Now, what weird stuff in the Bible do you want to know more about? Weirdstuffinthebible at gmail.com. That's my website. Or my email, I mean. I don't have a website, but that's my email if you want to get in touch. And I'll also mention, I was just recently featured on a friend of mine's podcast. It's called Something to Gnaw On. And this is another scripture, Bible study, Bible story podcast. Um, it, it's uh, it's hosted by a man named Nate Vinio. He's a good friend. And uh, I, he's actually, we've recorded a series of interviews about the book of Ezekiel. And so I encourage you to go check that out because I think it was just a great conversation and he's airing those right now. Something to gnaw on. If you search for that wherever you get your podcasts, you should be able to find his. And um, I just encourage you, go check it out. All right. So we had a mailbag today from uh, Conan and it was just three words long. It said, Satan means lawyer. This was a left on one of my previous episodes. This was in regard to one of my previous episodes, uh, my recent ones about the devil. And I spent a few a few weeks talking about him. And so Conan says, Satan means lawyer. And first of all, Conan, I just got to say that that's a little bit offensive to Satan. OK, <laughs> come on. Comparing him to a lawyer like that. Dude, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't th- I don't think the devil appreciates that. All right. Hope you didn't hurt his feelings. No, uh, seriously, though, the word Satan, it actually does mean adversary. And um, that's it's, he probably does hold a spiritual role that is similar to that of a prosecuting attorney. And there is a small difference. And I, I don't consider it significant, but some do. But there is a small difference if you look at the Hebrew and the Greek, this word Satan. OK, so the Greek New Testament has Satan as a proper name referring to a specific individual. In the Old Testament, Hasatan is like the Hebrew way of saying it. It is more of a descriptive term. It can be used for anybody who's an adversary. And so some people say when you see this word Satan show up in the Old Testament, such as the person who destroys Job's life in the opening chapters of Job, they will sometimes say that that is not actually the devil, that it's just this angel who is called the adversary. Um, He shows up again in Zechariah 3. Now, and some really good scholars hold this view. Michael Heiser, who I've cited before on this podcast, that is his view. Uh, I actually disagree with that, though. I know these a lot of these guys are much smarter than I am, so I hate to disagree. But I I don't agree with that view, and I'll explain why. Uh, In the New Testament, Satan is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. Okay, this is where that prosecutorial side comes in. And I think that the beings who show up in Job 1 and 2 and Zechariah 3, uh, who are called Hasatan, I think that those beings are acting just completely consistently with that description. That is what they're doing. They are accusing the brethren. They're called Satan. So I believe that that is actually the Satan in Job 1 and 2 and Zechariah 3. So that's my that's my stance on that whole thing. Um so anyway, thanks to Conan for his three. Hey guys, you send me a, a message. It's only three three words long. I, I can get a lot out of that. All right, let's wrap up for today. Um, in talking about apostates, Jude says this again in verse eleven. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, 
and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. So that first phrase there is what I want to hone in on. What is the way of Cain? Well, for one thing, as we look at Cain's life, I think that he was trying to relate to God through his fruit. And whenever you try to do that, that is going to be a losing proposition. Whenever you try to relate to God through your fruit, it is always going to lead you to discouragement. And doesn't that sound like Cain? He was discouraged. He was frustrated. He was getting mad. He was starting to build enmity and bitterness toward God. He took it out on, on Abel. Um, that's what's going to happen to you if you try to relate to God through your fruit and try to make him accept you because of what a good person you are. That is a losing proposition. Maybe you had a good day. Maybe you had a good week. Maybe you had a good month. But you could always blow it next month. And you are. <laughs> Eventually, you're going to blow it. You're always going to disappoint yourself whenever you try to make your own moral performance the basis of your relationship with God. And, you know, Paul says in, is it First or Second Corinthians, uh, chapter 4, verse 3, I do not even judge myself. That's what he says. I do not even judge myself. It's like, wow. Why does he say that? Because whenever you live in this state of trying to earn God's approval by being good enough, you will fail and you will get discouraged. Or worse, you might not fail. You might become prideful. You might think you're better than the others. But you know what? All that stuff, it's going to lead to jealousy. It's going to lead to jealousy of the righteous. And that's why the religious people of the Gospels, that's why they hated Jesus so much. You know, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Paul said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know, right right there, those are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because it shows me it's not really always our fault whenever we speak the truth and it makes people mad. In fact, if we're doing Christianity right, we should expect people to get mad at us. That's why the Jews used to stone the prophets. That's why the Sanhedrin killed Jesus. That's why Cain killed Abel. Their attitude created within them a murderous heart. And that's the path of anyone who follows the way of Cain. So if you think being hated by the world is weird, I hope you're a little bit more weird today, too. Thanks for listening. God bless you for sticking around till the end. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Weird Stuff in a Bible with my daddy, Luke Taylor. Subscribe today to get new episodes every Wednesday and learn about no weird stuff in a Bible.